clients will come to me and say, I need my partner to, to touch me differently. Or sometimes I don't want to, my partner to touch me at all. But for this example, the more useful one is I, I need my partner to touch me differently. And I'll say, okay, this is a great place to start. How do you want your partner to touch you? And the response is almost always, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that part. I just know I don't like what they're doing. Off that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. can, we, can we help them out a little? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not what you're doing, but I'm not sure. <laughs> the big question is this. In a world of fake Instagram models and bad diets, how do real people achieve their fitness goals? We are an army of hardworking women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kelsey. And we have a sexy, sexy episode for you today. We have um, our guest, Leah Carey. She is a sex and intimacy coach and host of the podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. Love that. <laughs> Her journey and purpose to body neutrality through a healthy relationship with your sexuality really caught our attention. It is an outstanding message, and she loves talking about all things related to female sexuality and how to maximize your happiness and fulfillment through developing a healthy mindset when it comes to your body. So, Leah, thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh my god, I'm gonna I'm loving this episode. <laughs> we just I just I know, get she's so a vibe. Excited. She's a vibe. You're I like such her vibe. a vibe. I love it. All right. So we're gonna dive right into it with how does one become a sex and intimacy coach? Um, so like tell us about your journey and how you found your career here. Oh, okay. So how does one become a sex and intimacy coach? In my case, by being terribly sexually repressed for the first 42 years of my life, <laughs> mm -hmm. this became my calling because I lived it so hard. It was so painful for so long. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of emotional abuse, some sort of low-key sexual inappropriateness. And my father told me that I was, you know, starting when I was about 11 or 12. So, you know, around puberty, my father started telling me I was fat and ugly and that people wouldn't like me if I didn't have a perfect body. And at the same time, he was telling me that he had to lock me in my room until I was 30 and he would break the kneecaps of any boy who looked at me. So it was super confusing. Like, am I totally unlovable? Or am I so desirable that I have to be protected from the world? And so what I did was just shut my sexuality down. I was internally still 
totally boy crazy. And then as I grew into my college and early 20s, I became girl crazy as well. And that was its own confusion. But on the outside, you would never have known that I was interested in someone because to me, the idea of letting somebody know that I was interested meant that I was putting them and myself in danger. So the relationships I got involved in, I didn't have my first serious relationship until I was 25. It was the first time I had sex. The relationships I got involved in tended toward the emotionally abusive because that was all I knew that I was worthy of. I thought, well, I should just take what I can get because no one else is going to love me anyway. My dad passed away when I was in my mid-20s. So the next 20 years after that, I was the one who was repeating his voice in my head. Yes, he had said all this incredibly damaging stuff, but he was gone. And now I was the one who was perpetrating all of that abuse on myself and continuing to tell myself that I was fat, continuing to tell myself that I was unlovable and finding people who would reinforce those beliefs for me. The big change came for me when I was 42. My mom had passed away. She was my absolute best friend in the world. Um, it was so painful to lose her. But what happened, and oh God, I still get chills when I talk about this because it is such a hard dichotomy for me. It was incredibly awful to lose her. And she was my last tie to all of those old stories about being a good girl. She had been very loving. She had not been abu emotionally abusive with me at all. And she and my father were no longer together. But still, I had imbued our relationship with a lot of those stories about I had to be a good girl because that's who she knew me to be. And once she was gone, I no longer had to be that good girl. And that was what freed me to go on this incredible journey of sexual healing that literally took me around the United States and to a sex resort in Jamaica and like all of these places that brought me to this recognition that, oh, wait, maybe those things that my dad told me were not true. And maybe I'm allowed to be a sexual person. And in all of that, one of the really hard lessons that I had to learn was that even though I look in the mirror and I see somebody who I, I still don't love what I see in the mirror, I have a larger body. I am, I got rolls, I got cellulite, I, I'm a little chunky, but I still have thin privilege. I still, even though I look in the mirror and I do not see somebody who is thin or pretty, I have thin privilege. I have pretty privilege because my face is basically symmetrical. That has been an incredibly difficult thing for me to face that the way that I learned to view myself on the inside and the way that other people see me are completely different. And I think it's true for a lot of us. Oh, I love that. And we come back to this time and time again, but the people doing the most important work in their field, they always have the one thing in common, which is it comes from such a deep seated personal like experience. And that is, I feel like the people who really truly know what the feels are and they can like really 
just get out there in the world and relate to all of the people having those same feels. And they're just doing the best kind of work that way. You know, you got to know it. You got to feel it. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. That's what I see when I look at the field. And I think that people will say to me, Oh, I'm so sorry that this, all of this happened with your dad. And yeah, it sucked. And I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it weren't for that, because I wouldn't have had to go through this transformation. I wouldn't feel so passionate about this subject if it had been easier for me. Hmm. And I think that messaging is so, you know, the message that you got from your dad is one that we receive as women existing in this world. You are a danger to yourself. You're a danger to other people. You're putting yourself in danger by just existing. And I know that that's a message we get at such a young age with the same language of like, you know, locking you in your room to your 30. Like, you know, there are several ways that you can say that you're not dating until you're 30. The things that we say to young girls, just dad saying, I'm in trouble. Yes. Just that little yes. phrase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. By you existing here. Yeah. Meaning that you are the trouble, mm -hmm. right? And that you have to be both female enough to be acceptable, but not too female because then you're dangerous and you're jailbait and you're, yes. you're causing boys to sin. What is that? It's yes. so harmful. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's trickled into everything we do. You know, we get into a school setting and it's like no tank tops because you are a distraction. Yes. You are a danger. You're a distraction. You are the source of everything that we don't want here by your general existence. Yes. And that is so problematic and a message that girls receive loud and clear mm -hmm. throughout their lives. Yeah. As we're recording this right now, there's um, a headline that I've seen several times in the last day about a judge saying that a teenage boy who has been convicted of rape and assault shouldn't go to jail because that'll be too harmful for him. Mm. We teach our boys that they are, that their sexual needs are more important than oh, yeah. the existence of women. Mm -hmm. Absolutely could not agree more. And I just, I think that there are so many women just shaking their heads on all of these messages because I don't, I have not yet come across a woman that says like, I've never heard any of that. Are you kidding? <laughs> like, this is like a, this is a, and there's levels of every, of all the messaging, you know, but like you have been in the trenches and heard these things and had these deep seated things. I just think that makes your message so valuable and so heard by so many women. So let's talk about body neutrality for a minute. Cause you touched upon that in talking about you still have trouble when you look in the mirror and you don't always love everything you see. So body neutrality, it's, it's in its early stages, but it's definitely picking up some steam. Can you talk for a minute about what that means to you and how it relates to a healthy sex life and otherwise life? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to give proper uh, acknowledgement to the coach who I worked with, who I know you've, you have interviewed in the past, Jesse Neeland. Oh God, I was thinking about her when, as we yeah. were talking about this, I'm like, she's amazing. <laughs> yes. And she is the coach who I worked with. And I mean, I want to be clear, I did the work and it was, she changed my life. Mm. <laughs> so 
Thank you, Jesse. I found Jesse right around the time that I was beginning this journey of like trying to figure out my sexual, not my sexuality. I knew who I was attracted to, but trying to figure out how I was allowed to experience and express my sexuality in the world. And we had some incredibly profound conversations like early on in our coaching relationship. I remember I had met this guy. I was traveling around the country. I called it my freedom tour. I was looking for the next place I was going to live. And I was in Washington, D.C. for about 10 days. And I had turned on a dating app because this was like my my step out into the world. I'm in this city where I will never see these people again. So what can it hurt to like just go on a dating app and see what happens? And I met this guy, had had a uh, dinner date with him. And he was very bland, but we got along fine. <laughs> and so I was talking to Jesse and I said, I'm kind of curious, would it be terrible for me to get together with him just to have sex? And her response was, I'm curious about you using the word terrible. Instead of saying, would it be fun? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that was what helped me to know that I could trust her to talk about my body that she, because there was this, there was this fear in me that she was going to say, I'm sorry, I can't work with you if you are this cavalier about using your body. And so what I learned with her was I don't have to get to this place where I look in the mirror and I'm like, I love my body. I love my curves. My curves are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not going to happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I can get to the point where I don't hate my body and I can put clothes on my body and be like, this is okay. I am going to go out into the world today and my body is not the most important thing about me. It is not the only thing that people are going to care about. This was a conversation that went on over time with Jesse. It was not an overnight thing. I want to be super clear that this took months and months deep internal consistent work. And I'm now like what, four years out and I'm still like, this is something that I'm still learning about on an active ongoing basis. The thing that made the biggest difference for me in actually experiencing it was I I mentioned a few minutes ago that I went to a sex resort in Jamaica. So I went by myself and I was terrified. (laughs) This did not happen because I was brave. This happened because I was scared out of my mind, but I knew that I would wonder and regret it if I didn't do it. And so I went and initially my thought was, I'm going to go have some sexy adventures. And then I got there and I was like, Oh no, no, I'm not. This is way too far outside. <laughs> like, no sexy adventures. <laughs> that shit is not happening this week. <laughs> I was braver when I was thinking about it. <laughs> yes, that is exactly true. <laughs> but I found a hammock on the beach. It was a nude beach. For anyone who's curious, it's called Hedonism 2. And so I, I sat on the nude beach for five days, completely nude, took my book. I literally read on the beach of a sex resort for five days. It was like the most vanilla possible experience you could have. <laughs> but what I learned was that nobody told me to go put my clothes on. 
nobody walked by me. I had these immense fears that people were going to be like, nobody wants to see all that. Take that away. Go put that away. Like, go inside, put your clothes on. Nobody wants to see that. And that never once happened. People actually looked at me with my rolls and my curves and my cellulite with heat. I don't think that I was putting off any sexy vibes at all. I only got hit on once during the five days I was there, and that was fine. But but I could see the way that people were looking at me, and they were looking at me with heat. And I was looking around at the other people on the beach. And it's very hard to talk about this without talking about body sizes, which is something I really don't want to do. But I honestly don't know how else to convey this yet. There were women on that beach who were 300, 350 pounds. There were women on that beach who were under 100 pounds and I could see their ribs. There were women on that beach using walkers because they had such severe arthritis and other conditions. Every single one of those women had somebody looking at them with desire. That is when it clicked for me that all of this shit that we hear about how you have to have a model's body and how you have to lose 20 pounds and, oh my God, the love handles, none of it matters. It is absolutely not true. There are people who want to love us in the body we are in today, not 10 pounds from now. Let's go. That's everything. Did you guys hear that? (laughs) I just want you to play that back because that's important shit right there. Mm Mm-hmm. That's just everything. Cause I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we just have this idea built up in our mind that it's someone else, something else, some other look, something other than what we are currently in. And the saddest thing and the thing that I wish everyone would know and learn is that it, it doesn't exist. There is no weight that you're going to feel like you are the sexiest. There is no space where you are like, oh, when I get there, like it will never, if you're waiting for it, it'll never happen. Yeah. I mean, we have, <laughs> I want to skip to this question because yeah. like, it's just, it just goes with it because there's so many instances in which we say that body positivity has a size for me. It has an aesthetic. It is, it's going to come, but it's, it's uh, just around the corner. Mm. It's that 10 pounds. It's, I got to get my, my, uh, per- it's my boobs. They're just not perky enough. But if I could get a boob job, we often hear If I looked like her, I'd walk around naked all the time. Would you though? Because I really want to challenge women to really think about this. It's always in the distance. And Leah, in your opinion, what are the issues with conditional terms of feeling good naked and actual like aesthetics? Mm, I love what you just said. This idea that people have, I mean, I talk about this experience and people listen to me and they're like, that sounds amazing. That sounds so freeing, but I could never do it myself. It's too scary. And I get it. Before the moment that I did it myself, I never could have done it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, amazing like, how it, that works. <laughs> it was so terrifying. And now I actively seek out rooms where people are nude together because it is so incredibly healing for my body image. We went through this pandemic. So I'm part of a, an organization here in Portland, Oregon, where we have nude events. 
And that was so important to me to in this ongoing process of body image. And then we went into a pandemic where for two years, we weren't in the same room together, let alone all naked together. And my body image has taken a fairly slow but steady backward fall. And we're just starting now to do nude events again. I think I've been to two or three over the past couple of months um, with all lots of important COVID protocols in place. But being back in those rooms, I can feel it starting to work on me again in positive ways. The fear is, at least this is the fear as I know it myself and have heard it from other people. I'm sure there are lots of other versions of this fear out there. But the fear as I understand it is, I am going to walk into that room and everyone's going to judge me because I don't look perfect. When in truth, when everyone is naked, nobody's actually looking really at anybody because you're all just kind of there being and feeling into yourselves. It is not true to say nobody's looking. People are, of course, people are looking. But part of what creates this issue is that we're covering ourselves. And so we're all wondering what's under somebody else's clothes and believing that it's better than what we have under our clothes. And once we take our clothes off, we see how untrue that is. Even people with flat stomachs and tiny waists and perky boobs have places that they're uncomfortable with have places that they're trying to hide or, you know, show in the best angle. Models do not believe that they are stunning, gorgeous creatures for the most part, because they're constantly being told what's wrong with them and what they have to fix. We are trying to live up to something that does not exist. Mm -hmm. I, I love this idea. I think that a lot of our listeners are going to be thinking like, I can't even change in front of a mirror and I can't even get naked in front of my husband or my significant other. And I hear that and I want to validate those experiences, but what advice would you give to some of those ladies to take the first step in getting more comfortable in their body, in their own skin? Yeah. So I actually, a couple months ago, had a few friends who have large audiences on Instagram pulled their audiences for me. And the question was, do you feel comfortable being fully naked in front of your partner? 35% of women said no. That's massive. That's heartbreaking. That is mm -hmm. stunning it's to your me. Partner. <laughs> it's the person who... One would hope you could be the most raw mm -hmm. and vulnerable with. So what does it look like to start overcoming this? First of all, I think that a lot of people would probably, the, the standard advice would be, well, just do it. Just take your clothes off, turn the lights on and get through it the first time, then it'll be easier. I think that is absolutely the wrong way to go about it. Because what you're going to do is trigger your nervous system into total overwhelm and freak out. And then it's going to feel even harder and more traumatic. Instead, what I would say, and this is something that I do with my partner on a fairly regular basis, because like I said, I'm still working these issues myself. I hear my partner say, I love you. I love your body just the way it is. And in my head, I think, okay, sure. A, you're probably crazy. <laughs> and B, you have to say that because we're in a relationship and you don't want me to like 
go crazy on you because God forbid the woman (laughs) should go crazy. So hearing the words, you are beautiful and I love your body are nice, but they are never going to do the trick because we don't believe them. And so all of our defenses are going to come up and be like, you're lying to me. Similarly, all of this stuff about look in the mirror and tell yourself 10 nice things a day and tell yourself how much you love yourself. Same thing. It's going to trigger all of your systems that say that's bullshit. I don't believe it. Instead, what I recommend is going to your partner and hopefully you have a partner who's going to be sensitive to this. Go to your partner and say, I am having difficulty. I am really challenged with especially now, most of us have been more sedentary over the last two years than we're used to. I'm feeling really self-conscious and I could use some validation, but here's what I need to hear. I need to hear why you love me, why you love my body. Not that you love my body, but what about my body is it that you love? Because I want to try to see myself through your eyes. And the adjustment is not to go from, I hate my body to, I love my body. The adjustment is to go from, (laughs) it it just doesn't happen that way. The adjustment is to go from, I hate my body to, my partner is telling me that they love my body and I don't believe it yet, but I'm choosing to believe that they believe it, that they're not lying to me. That I think is the crucial intermediate step that most people miss and then get caught up in this. Well, they're, I, I, they're lying to me and I can't believe anything they say. The intermediate step is this is what they're saying. And I'm go, I don't have to believe it yet, but I am going to choose to believe that they believe it. I mean, I always ask myself the question, like, what's, what's his motivation for lying? Mm. Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why would he say, I love this thing about you? This is this an elaborate lie that he had mm. to spend all this time thinking about that yeah. he just came up with on the second. <laughs> and what would he, be his motivation there for telling me this massive lie? Or Great is question. it really just the truth? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I love about that too is just... <laughs> being the therapist in me, says that I love being able to identify what it is specifically you need and then put some language behind that where you're saying to your partner, like, this is what I think I need right now. And it looks like this. That's a really important communication tool with like (laughs) anyone who's in your life. (laughs) You can do that with that. You can expand that and really start living your best life. Yes. (laughs) Because people don't know. A lot of us don't even know what we are looking for. So the first thing is like, what am I looking for from my partner right now? And like that question alone can be really internally challenging. And then being able to share it with your person is a next step that is like also bridging a gap between both of you. Yeah. One of the things that I use frequently with my clients is called the three minute game where you lie down and your partner sits next to you and you literally start a timer for three minutes on your phone. And the person who's sitting up says, how would you like me to touch you for three minutes? And that turns out to be an incredibly difficult question for most people, regardless of gender, 
for most people to answer because we don't think that way. When it comes to being in the bedroom, those of us who, who were brought up as little girls were brought up to take care of everyone else first, to make sure everyone's needs are taken care of before we have our own. Maybe we're not even allowed to have our own. We're in constant performance mode of making sure that everyone else is cared for. And so when somebody says, what do you want? Our brain immediately goes to, what can I say that I want that will make them happy? Mm -hmm. So when the question is, I'm not asking for anything in return. I simply want to pay attention to you for three minutes. What do you want for those three minutes? Our brains just go, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, you're going to touch me and I don't have to do anything in return. I'm sorry, that does not compute. I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. Yes. Yeah. So it is a really challenging question. And clients will come to me and say, I need my partner to, to touch me differently. Or sometimes I don't want to, my partner to touch me at all. But for this example, the more useful one is I, I need my partner to touch me differently. And I'll say, okay, this is a great place to start. How do you want your partner to touch you? And the response is almost always, oh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that part. I just know I don't like just what different. they're doing. <laughs> Not that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can we can we help them out a little? Yeah. <laughs> not what you're doing, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so all of this, I mean, I think people tend to think that sex is like 20% maybe communication and 80% touch. I think that it's 80% communication and 20% touch. Like the touch is the fun part, but you don't get to actually have the kind of fulfilling, connected fun that you want until you've done the communication part, which is saying, here's what's going on with me. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here's how I feel loved. I love that. Yeah. I really love this practical. I love the example you gave of practical advice that you give your clients, because I think that a lot of women listening may be at a point where they're starting to see that, you know, maybe their sex life and their thoughts about sex are a little bit damaged and especially deeply rooted in these things. Like, like, you know, you said we were brought up with and, you know, deep seated body issues that have just like infiltrated their way into really all parts of our lives, you know, not being able to take off your shirt at the gym. Mm -hmm. when you're hot, not being able to walk confidently into a clothing store and, and pick on some clothes and go into the dressing room, like not being able to be naked in front of your husband, not wanting to be intimate with him because of, or with the lights on or all of these things. So if someone is sort of starting to recognize that they have some issues in this area that they, they may want to work on or improve. What would you say are some of the first steps that women can do? Like, are we, should we watch porn? What should we do? <laughs> wow. That's a, so it's a big question and there are a lot of different ways to come at it. If porn appeals to you, great, do it. I am not an anti-porn advocate. I think that if you're going to watch it, please pay for it and seek out ethical feminist porn because you're probably going to like it more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's that. But 
There are lots of ways to sort of, uh, one of the questions that I get a lot is I, I literally don't know what I want. My partner asks me what I want and I don't know what to say. And so I will frequently recommend, whether it's watching porn, reading books that have sex scenes, watching TV shows that you know have like, if Grey's Anatomy is your thing, great, go watch Grey's Anatomy, you know, like things that make you feel kind of juicy. Movies, same. If there are movies that, you know, turn you on, watch those scenes with an eye toward not just how am I feeling, but what is like, what is the moment where I start to get turned on? What is the thing that's going on? Because you may find that it's not that the deep kissing that when you try it, you're like, eh, you know, okay, but it doesn't, it might, be, <laughs> <laughs> it might be that the guy is wearing a cowboy hat, <laughs> you know, like, or it could be that the part of the sex scene where you start to get really turned on is where she takes his hand and holds it down over his head. There are, we tend to watch sex scenes sort of as a whole and think, oh, that was really hot but not then break it down a little bit further into what was it about it that got me really juiced up so that then I can start exploring that in my own bedroom. Another great, uh, a couple more great resources are Literotica, which is an online, it's erotica with an L at the beginning, literotica.com. And they have a vast library of user submitted erotica. So, and it's all tagged by different types of activity because there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of things that you can do in bed that aren't just straight PIV intercourse, a penis and vagina intercourse. You don't even have to have penetrative intercourse to have a fulfilling sexual experience. So another great resources Dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A. They're an online erotic, not, I'm sorry, online is the wrong word, audio erotica. So you listen to stories. People can come to my website if they want a free month because th they're sponsoring my show right now. Like using these different resources to really figure out, to dive into what is it that's turning me on and how can I extrapolate that into my real life? I do want to give one detour here. That's not the right word, but I can't come up with the right word that you may find that there are things that turn you on to fantasize about, to watch, to read about that you don't actually want to do in your real life. And that is completely okay. It's completely normal. If you're watching porn or reading erotica or fantasizing about something that you're like, this is kind of like, twisted in a way that I'm not okay with? And is there something terribly wrong with me that I'm thinking about this? No, not at all. Your fantasies are completely normal. The way that I look at it is your fantasies are completely normal. And the kind of sex that you are having is completely normal. The only sort of um, caveat is if you're fantasies or activities revolve around hurting someone without their consent. You can hurt someone with their consent all day long, but if you're hurting someone without their consent, that's where we draw the line. That's where you probably need to talk to somebody, get some type of therapeutic intervention. Other than that, everything is on the table. 
Mm. What a freeing idea. I know. That you're not a bad girl if you do X, Y, or Z, or you don't need to be, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, it just, I was saying to Kelsey before that idea of like that, you know, we're told right in the beginning, you're a good girl, or a bad girl, and it being so tied to sexuality. And then we like grow up and extend it to everything. Now there are good and bad foods. Yes. And we're being a bad girl when we eat cake. And oh we're being God, a good yeah. girl when we eat salad. And there's and good and bad ways to express yourself sexually. It's the same, it's the it's same the, thing. It's what are you wearing? Message. Are you good? Are you bad? Are you, <laughs> are your shorts too short? Thing? Are you bad? But wait, in certain circumstances, you're very good. <laughs> it's yeah. like, whoa, this is so confusing. Yes. <laughs> and impossible. And I think that it really, it translates everywhere. And when you start to realize, that freeing message, like you said, that there is no good and bad, that there is just me. Mm-hmm. It really, it opens the doors to being able to really discover who you are. And once that that has started, the wheels have started, like that fulfilling life is just out there waiting for you because you can go get everything you want to get. Yeah. I love that. And I would say that what you said at the beginning was, uh, you're not a bad girl unless you want to be called a bad girl. And that's okay. Too. <laughs> then that's okay too. That's okay too. <laughs> we were wondering what has been the most rewarding aspect of becoming a sex and intimacy coach for you? Oh my God. Uh, watching people's lights turn on, I think it's those moments when, so I, I remember one, there are so many moments that for me are like, that was the moment when something changed for me. One of them was when I was in a class learning about consent, uh, learning about having a consent conversation. And I had always, okay, I'm going to be just a little bit explicit here. I had stopped giving blowjobs to men back in my 20s because I read a Cosmo article (laughs) that said, if you love him, you will swallow. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, Cosmo, what did you oh, do to a generation of girls? <laughs> I was like, no, that's just not happening. I tried it once. I was nauseous for days. I couldn't do it. No, hell no. And so I stopped. Giving so you don't love him then? Because I didn't want the guys to think that I didn't love them. And I was in this class learning about consent conversations. And I heard this woman say, I enjoy giving blowjobs, but one of my boundaries is that you are not allowed to come in my mouth or on my face. And I was like, wait, that's what? an option. Your own boundaries for your own body. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> And, and I like literally my brain exploded <laughs> and I had to go pick it up. <laughs> and then I started trying that because I was in a period where I was having a lot of sexual engagement with a lot of different people. And I, I, my thought was, well, people, that's fine for her to say, but people are going to reject me if I say that. When I tell you, I have said this now to 
I don't know how many guys, let's say just a 10 guys, not a single one of them was like, oh, never mind that. Oh, it's a deal breaker. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, you want to put your mouth on my dick? Okay. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yes. And my, uh, I'm now with a partner. And one of the things that he did early on in our relationship was he found some condoms that have no scent and no taste and they're non-lubricated. And he got me like a hundred pack of them. He's like, here, can we have blowjobs to completion now? I was like, yes, we can. Absolutely. <laughs> you put in the work. Let's go. Figure out the brilliant solution. What I love is watching people have those moments of, oh, you mean I'm allowed to say that? Mm. I'm allowed mm -hmm. to do that or think that? I'm allowed to be that? That is the most rewarding thing for me. That is my favorite thing when somebody gets to that moment. Isn't that amazing? Just being a coach, watching someone in whatever aspect of their life have that moment where they're owning it in themselves and really making a choice to express themselves, own their body for us, like take off your shirt at the gym and just be your free self is for me. Like you hit it right on the head. It's like when she said that, most I was going to say same. Yeah. Uh, when she said like the most rewarding is to like see somebody be able to just like set, this is me. The, and I was like, oh my God, same, but same. just a different field. Yeah. No, same, same, yeah. same, same. Because it's, <laughs> it's just women just finally getting the keys to own themselves and mm -hmm. like, and that just, that lights me up. That's what, oh. that's, that, that's the shit that gets me out about in the morning yeah, because <laughs> like just watching, we are in touch with so many women at so many different ages, you know, everywhere around the world and just watching them in different aspects of their fitness and their life really find themselves and finding themselves worthy and valuable and important in this world is like, it's just everything as a coach. Yes, I agree so much. And I think one of the reasons that I've reached out to you to do this interview is because I love that you are supporting women in being in their bodies, in the bodies that they're in, and also going through this fitness journey, because I think it's so important to to take apart, to divorce the idea that I have to look a certain way in order for someone to be attracted to me. No, someone is going to be attracted to you where you are today. Now, what do you want to do about your body for you? Mm -hmm. How do you want to feel? How do you want to be in this world? How do you want to feel your happiest, healthiest self? And whatever that looks and feels like for you is exactly perfect. Right. And you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited too about speaking to you, Leah, because it's so far reaching. And like, when we talk about health of our lives, like our sex lives are so, so intricate and important and such a huge piece of that and leaving that out and saying, you know, well, I, I guess I'm working on my self-confidence and I, I guess I'm working on deadlifting more at the gym, but like, I still really can't tell my husband what I want. 
or my wife or my partner, those things, you know, it's, it's a whole package and really making sure that that is integrated into the journey of self-discovery and, and realizing that like you are enough right now to, to be, and to Mm -hmm. say what you need. That's your message. And and we're just a hundred percent here for that. Mm. Thank you. I'm 100% here for you too. (laughs) (laughs) Leah, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Where can our listeners get more from you? Because they are going to, they're going to love you. Thanks. Well, please come join me on my podcast, Good Girls Talk About Sex. And to give you a little teaser of what it is, it is a non-expert show. It's not about me teaching you how to have better sex. This is me interviewing real everyday women about their sex lives. What's working for them, what's not working for them, what they wish could be better, where they learned the the messages that have you know, affected their sex lives. I work really hard to make it very diverse. So we're talking ages, races, body types, different backgrounds, et cetera. Uh, so that's good girls talk about sex on all of the major podcast networks or podcast apps. And if you're interested in coaching, you can find me at leahcarry.com. Perfect. We will link this in our show notes too, so that they have some easy access to you, but I know they're definitely going to want to hear more from you. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on. Thank you both for having me. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, get in our free app, CVG Nation, available in your app store. We have an amazing community of women, coaches to help you with your movements, challenges, and we give away leggings daily in there. Rachel and I are in there every day, so it's a perfect place to get in touch with us. This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out ConstantlyVariedGear.com. Have an amazing week. Crush your goals.